Hello, and welcome to 15-Minute History. This brave and honorable man walked uncomprehendingly into the snake pit of Chinese politics. He intended to bring peace, but what he really began was the Cold War in Asia. It was all a terrible surprise. Arthur Waldron on General George Marshall, China Without Tears Arthur Waldron is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania and an expert on Chinese history. His work on the nationalist movement in China enabled him to write a thoughtful essay in Volume 1 of the What If series. Called China Without Tears, it identifies the defining moment in post-World War II Chinese history and shows that if events had played out differently, our world today might be radically changed. The tall American was on a mission as he arrived in a far-off country. Having led the armed forces through the Second World War, President Truman felt the general was the man to prevent the outbreak of another conflict in East Asia. He was inexperienced when it came to international relations, but his time in Washington coordinating the Allied powers' war efforts made him an expert at building and maintaining coalitions. Surely, George Marshall thought, he was the man to bring peace to China. Two decades of war had plagued China and created a permanent breach between the communist leader Mao Zedong and the nationalist generalissimo Chiang Kai-shek. Mao's forces were largely in ruins thanks to the Japanese and were confined largely in the north and far west. Chang's, on the other hand, were battered but well-trained and equipped thanks to American aid, and the nationalists controlled most of the country. In the months that followed Japan's surrender to the Allies, the nationalists began moving troops north to the border of Manchuria, the industrial heart of China and the last major communist stronghold. By the fall of 1945, Chang's armies were driving across enemy territory toward the Manchurian capital, Harbin, and sweeping the communists before them. Victory seemed at hand in the spring, but then Chang made a fatal mistake. General Marshall had arrived early in 1946 with orders from Harry Truman to build a coalition government that included both communists and nationalists in China. Mao Zedong eagerly accepted Marshall's invitation, continuing his public relations campaign to depict the Chinese Communist Party as kinder and gentler than its Stalinist counterpart in Moscow. But Chang, who had chafed at having to accept help from the Americans during the war with Japan, rejected Marshall's interference and refused to compromise with Mao. He drove his forces on towards Harbin, hoping to capture the city and then present the Americans with a fait accompli. Having defeated the communists, he would now rule all of China. Frustrated by the nationalists' intransigence, General Marshall delivered an ultimatum in June 1946, agree to a ceasefire in Manchuria and open negotiations with Mao, or the United States would cut off all military aid to Chang's forces in the field. The proud nationalist leader accepted these terms at first, and when talks broke down, he tried to resume the advance. But it was too late. America kept its word and ended military aid to Chang's government, and Mao used the brief respite to rearm his men with Soviet weapons. Marshall left China in January 1947, exhausted by his work and angry at his failure, and the communists then launched a general assault against the nationalists. Within two years, Chiang Kai-shek's forces had been driven off the mainland onto the island of Formosa, where they formed the Republic of China, while Mao Zedong ruled the victorious People's Republic of China from Beijing. What if? 
What if Chang had ignored Marshall's ultimatum entirely, taken the Harbin stronghold, and then negotiated directly with Mao from a position of strength? Arthur Waldron speculates that China would have been partitioned much like the nations of Germany, Korea, and Vietnam had been after the Second World War. Chang would have ruled the bulk of the Chinese mainland and Formosa, while Mao would have been confined to the north in Manchuria and the west in Xinjiang. As a result, the communists would have been much more reliant on Soviet assistance, while the nationalists would have ruled a capitalist but authoritarian state stretching from the Himalayas to the Pacific. The removal of a dominant Red China from Cold War Asia would have had dramatic effects on subsequent world history. Professor Waldron theorizes that neither the Korean nor the Vietnam Wars would have occurred. Communist China provided both Kim Il-sung and Ho Chi Minh with the resources and strategic retreats necessary to launch their aggressive wars against democratic opponents. Without Chinese involvement, Korea would have remained peaceful, and the French might have been able to hold on to their colony in Indochina. Waldron also argues that Senator Joseph McCarthy's Red Scare would have been far less successful, as he would not have had the recent communist victory and General Marshall's failure at the negotiating table on which to base his claim of rampant enemy infiltration of the federal government. This would have spared the United States one of the most divisive episodes of the Cold War period. Finally, Waldron contends that without the vast natural resources and human capital of all China in his hands, Mao's regime would have remained as poor as other Soviet satellite states and drawn resources out of Moscow to prop up his sagging government. Having to pour money and manpower into a small red China on its Siberian border would have weakened the Soviet economy even further and might have led to an earlier end to the Cold War and a German-style reunification of the two Chinas. Our World Today I'm going to remind you each time as we talk about counterfactual history that this is only a guess, and not even the best and brightest historians know exactly how things may have turned out differently. But suppose that the nationalists had triumphed at Harbin, partitioned China, as Professor Waldron posited, and followed the same path toward democracy that the nation of Taiwan has taken. A free and open China would certainly be a more powerful economic competitor on the world stage today. Its population, spared the horrors of Mao's cultural revolution, the Great Leap Forward, and the barbaric one-child policy, might be approaching 2 billion people by 2021. If China remained free and democratic, its genocidal oppression of the Uyghur minority in Xinjiang would not be taking place right now, and its medical community might just be a bit more open about the origins of certain viruses. But if nationalist China remained an authoritarian state, its tremendous wealth and enormous population would certainly make it a dangerous threat to world stability. If it adopted expansionist policies like those coming out of CCP-ruled China today, a new Chinese empire might be gradually creeping across Asia. Its Belt and Road Initiative could be backed by the resources of a free market and may be even more aggressive as it establishes cultural and military outposts around the world. Certainly the Chinese people would be better off, having been spared the tyranny and murder of communism, regardless of which path the nationalists took but it is impossible to say whether our world today would be more or less secure. Again, we cannot know for certain how history would have unfolded after a nationalist victory in the Chinese Civil War. Professor Arthur Waldron presents an interesting what-if scenario in China Without Tears, one that challenges us to consider the impact of foreign interference in nations' affairs and reminds the leaders of great powers to be careful when and how they wield their influence. <laughs>